0: The weather over the last couple weeks has completely thrown off the roadie family. Anybody else with me? <laughs> Anybody else with me? Uh, first, it was the leaky window in the living room. Then it was the leaky window in the kitchen. During the second storm, we realized that we don't have rain boots that fit all of our kids because we don't usually need rain boots to fit all of our kids. And don't even get me started about the dog. Labs are supposed to be water dogs, right? You'd think the stuff falling from the sky was terrifying. By the third or fourth storm, or whichever it was, the one the weekend before this, our schedules were completely disrupted. School events were canceled. Our fields for sports were were wiped out and started over. It's happened for our softball team here at WPC, too. We haven't actually been able to play a game yet, because it seems like every weekend... Our softball games are canceled. Southern Californians just don't know what to do with this much rain. It takes us out of our rhythms. It takes us out of our routines. Those of you who aren't from Southern California, are you hearing me and thinking, you're ridiculous. Is that true? Those of you who aren't from Southern California are saying, this is just kind of normal. Yeah, it's fine. We were talking about it here in the office earlier in the week that uh, our, our buildings in Southern California just weren't built for this type of rain. We're not, we're not ready for this type of rain. And then you toss in today's spring forward time change. And for houses like mine, it's just complete chaos. Now, it's a, a bit ironic that, that all of this rain that's kind of thrown us off is coming, coming to us in a season where in the, the church world, where we're brought into a, a time where we're invited to check in on our routines, to check in on our rhythms during this, this season of Lent. Lent is an opportunity to reflect on our priorities, to reflect on on our patterns, a chance to to take time to kind of center ourselves to God's presence and what God is doing in our world. As a church, we're we're taking time this season to practice different types of prayer together. The, The whole idea, again, is that we talk about prayer on Sunday morning and then we go home and practice it and gather together on Wednesday nights to practice it as well. During the first week of Lent, we explored listening through through the noise around us, just kind of focusing our attention on God, even when the world around us is so loud and everything is so busy. We talked about the Ignatian prayer of examine, and we practiced lectio divina that 's what we did on our Wednesday night prayer gathering. Then last week, we looked at a, a lament uh, we looked at lament, and uh, one of the things we shared is that lament is an important part of being vulnerable before God, being honest, just kind of opening ourselves up to God. This morning, we're exploring kind of the everyday piece of prayer. What what does it look like to set a routine and a rhythm where we are in prayer constantly throughout our day? In Psalm 116, which was our first passage this morning, the psalmist writes that he loves the Lord because God turned his ear to his cry. Then in the second verse, the psalmist responds by saying, and I will call on his name for as long as I live. So what does it look like to call on God as long as we live? What does it look like to set a a rhythm where we don't just call out to God as a last resort, but we make prayer a part of the first thing that we do in our day? When we wake up, throughout the day, when we go to bed, to make prayer a part of our our daily rhythm. Toward the end of his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul wasn't necessarily specifically answering this question. Though he gets close, his, his words almost appear like a direct answer. He gives a fairly succinct set of instructions about how to live as followers of Christ. Some of what Paul writes... It's kind of difficult to follow in places, but, but I don't think so here. I think it's, it's fairly direct. It was fairly direct to the church then, and, and I think it's fairly direct to us as well. Starting in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen, we read this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our oldest daughter Sings in the Los Robles Children's Choir here in our community, and on on Monday they had an opportunity for a, a tune-up concert of sorts at the Reserve Retirement Home off of Moore Park Road. Uh, I, I picked her up and we went right after school, and after the the mini concert there was a, a sing-along of sorts with some of the classics. There's nothing like getting together for an internet or an international, an intergenerational jam session with songs like "You Are My Sunshine." Somewhere Over the Rainbow, In the Jungle. We know those songs. I started kind of singing quietly along as we were singing, and and then when we got to the fourth song, I, I just couldn't help myself. When the moon hits the sky like a big pizza pie, well done. Well done. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help it. I, I, was, I was so excited. When, it, when we were done, I went and picked up Ella, and, and I, I, I ran into the, the director in the hallway, and she said, well, well, well. Someone had some training. I was so excited, I sent Ed a text, and I said, I still got it. I still got it. And then on the way home, we rolled down the windows and sang it at the top of our lungs, embarrassing Ella at every stoplight like a dad is supposed to do. Throughout this series, I've, I've come back to this quote from Eugene Peterson. Prayers are tools not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. Prayers are tools not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. It's something we grasp with something like music or, or a sport where we, we have to practice or we have to train ourselves, we have to keep up on it so that we continue. You, you all don't just come here on Sunday morning and say, you know what, we're going to sing a cappella this morning without any organ, we got it. That, that's how this happened this morning, right? No, they trained! They had, they had choir rehearsal. Sports the same way, you have practice. And those, those rehearsals, those practices those things that we have to work on, we do that to to be and to become the person that God has made us to be, to stay on top of our game. But it's not something we always think about with our spiritual life. And it's important that we do. Prayer isn't just about getting what we want. It's about being and becoming the person that God created each one of us to be in the same way that I could uh, lean on training from decades ago from limited experience in children's choirs and in band in junior high and high school for, for something as silly as a, a sing-along, when we train and when we practice, something gets deeply embedded in us that we can pull from when we need it. Prayer, it it begins to transform us, begins to become a part of who we are when we learn to set healthy rhythms and routines. So Paul, he he starts the conclusion of 1 Thessalonians with the encouragement to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. It's not just a part of life. It's not just something we're supposed to do every once in a while when it feels right or when we have a moment to get away. It is ongoing. Something we're called to do as followers of Christ all the time. It's something we see often in in Paul's writings. We we, we see it over and over again. He's constantly thanking God for the churches that he's writing to. Constantly praying for their well-being. Constantly remembering them. It's not an exaggeration at all to say that for Paul, prayer is as natural as breathing. It's something you do over and over again. When Henry Nouwen writes about this sort of unceasing prayer, he notes that if read in a certain way, what Paul asks here is impossible. Even monks. Even monks who who dedicate their lives, who set aside hours and hours a day to pray, they can't help but have their minds wander to the tasks that they have to do throughout the day or or, to something a family member or, or or to something else they have going on. He goes on he goes as far as saying that thinking about God all the time can be unhealthy, even an unrealistic expectation. But there's a difference between kind of fixating on that and being in constant communion with God. Being in constant communion with God means inviting God into every corner of our lives. So, so now one writes this, although it is important and even indispensable for our spiritual lives to set apart time for God and God alone, our prayer can only become unceasing communion when all our thoughts... Beautiful or ugly, high or low, proud or shameful, sorrowful or joyful, can be thought in the presence of the one who dwells in us and surrounds us. To pray unceasingly is to channel our thoughts out of their fearful isolation into a fearless conversation with God. To pray unceasingly is to channel our thoughts out out of fearful isolation and into a fearless conversation with God. Jesus modeled this sort of living. He didn't kind of compartmentalize his his life and say this is for my Father, but this over here is not. He didn't hide anything, and that's what now one is getting toward here. I actually think that some of what is behind the disciples going to Jesus and saying, teach us to pray, is along the lines of them saying, hey Jesus, how in the world do you live like that? How, 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 do, you, how do you function in that way? I imagine it, it felt impossible for them. I mean, at times it feels impossible to me to live that way. But it's a reminder to ask ourselves an important question. Maybe even a humbling question. Is there anything that you're trying to hide from God. And even if we believe there's nothing we can hide from God, is there anything we hold in what now one refers to as fearful isolation? We think, yeah, I know really that God knows everything I think, that God knows how many hairs are on my head. I know I can can conceptualize that about God, but I, I really wish He didn't know this. Inviting God into the nooks and crannies of our thoughts requires us to be vulnerable with Him along the same lines of the prayer of lament. When we're able to accept that God knows everything there is to know about us, we create habits around inviting God into those places. And we begin to see the sort of transformation that prayer can bring. But it's not just about our minds. I referred to a book a couple times over the last couple of weeks by, by John Mark Comer. And one of the more interesting chapters in, in his book, and the, the title of the book is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, and uh, one of the more interesting chapters in the book lists practical ways that we can intentionally slow down. Things like choosing to drive the speed limit. Things like choosing to get in the longest line at the grocery store. Intentionally slowing down. Comer emphasizes that we are embodied creatures, whole people, and that the mind is only a portal to the whole person. He goes on to write that we're not just brains with legs walking around. So the rhythms and routines we set should should impact every part of our lives. For some of that, for some of us, that means that that we pray best when we're in a particular posture or are moving our bodies. Some of my most memorable significant times of prayer have come when I'm out on my bike alone or years ago when I'm out on my surfboard alone in the ocean by myself. For some of us, it might be walking. For some of us, it might be kneeling. Some of you might even find that posture laying down. I know for me, that's a great recipe to fall right asleep. But for some of you, that might be the posture. Our prayer gathering this Wednesday is going to focus on a bit on finding that posture. Pastor Jen is going to be with us and leading us through some, some light movement and some, some breathing prayers. And, and don't worry, you don't have to be an elite athlete to, to join in. Um, but it is important that we try to find postures that we can return to. That we can return to, to to put us into that kind of regular time, routine time of prayer. The truth is, even if we'd like to step away from our, our regular routines and schedules to, to get away, as, as Jesus often did when he stepped away from the disciples and stepped away from the crowds, it's not always possible. So, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do then? There's a a practice that is rooted in the Jewish tradition that was was picked up by the monastic movement in the 6th century. That's a a great tool that that any of us can use, whether you join us on Wednesday night or not. It's it's something we all can do, and it's called called the Centering Prayer. The, The premise of this prayer revolves around setting aside a few moments through the day for a very short prayer. The goal is to find small units of time to remind ourselves that God is with us at all times and to repeat a, a same phrase throughout the day to kind of center ourselves it's as simple as choosing a phrase something like show us show me your grace and setting an alarm on your phone to ring 3 times in the day and pausing god show me your grace it's something we all Can practice it doesn't take all that long and i i think we'd be surprised by the way if we do that routinely it reminds us of god's presence now there are a lot of tools out there for centering prayer in fact um, as i was preparing for this sermon i i I downloaded an app from the anglican church to try to see if i i i could use it to see how, how great it would be to see if i wanted to recommend it to you and it worked great for about two days and then the alarm would pop up on my phone. And I'd be like, oh, I'll just do it. I'll just do it later. Pop up and then soon enough, I'd have eight notifications from the same app telling me that I missed prayer eight times. Setting a rhythm of prayer, we have to be intentional with it. Even if we have that alarm clock, you still have to stop and do it. And setting a rhythm for Centering Prayer it involves around four pretty, pretty quick steps. First, we simply stop what we're doing. We hit pause. Stop whatever you're doing, just, just for a moment. Now that might be easy to do first thing in the morning or right before going to bed, but it's more difficult in the middle of the day. With all kinds of things competing for our attention. And yet, it's in those moments, those busier moments, that orienting ourselves and our lives toward God is probably most important. After hitting pause, say your centering prayer for the day. If you can, I'd encourage you to, to say it out loud. Show me your grace. Come, Lord Jesus. You are my refuge and strength. And sometimes it helps to just, again, say it out loud. Repeat it a few times, and then to sit in silence. To make space in a noisy world. It could be for five seconds, and it, it could be for as long as a minute. We make space to clear out the hum inside our heads and, and, and in the outside world around us. And to invite God to be a part of whatever it is that's creating that hum. So we stop, we pause. We say that short centering prayer, ideally out loud. If not out loud, you can just repeat it in your head a couple of times. And then we sit. We sit in silence. And then we return to whatever part of the day that we're in. Acknowledging that God is with us. It's a process that at most, at most, a long centering prayer could be five minutes. But it doesn't have to take five minutes. It could take one. And depending on the tradition, this was a a practice that that was was practiced anywhere from three to eight or or even 12 times a day. And I want to give us a challenge as a church. A challenge as a church this week. I'm going to ask that we, we start small. We start with three times a day together. I'm going to ask that we set a rhythm of practicing centering prayer three times a day this week. Now, I'm not going to set the times for you, though I think it makes sense to do one in the morning and one in the evening and then one sometime during the day. And I do think it's important to set a reminder of some sort. And the temptation is going to be to do what I did with the app every time it rang. Oh, I can just do this later. But I want to encourage you, again, it takes one minute, Remember, each prayer, it should only take take a short amount of time. And I'd suggest that we use one of the three prayers from this slide. Though you can use another one if you'd like. Do you think we can do it? This is the responsive part. Yeah, we can do that. Sure, I I think it's worth, worth trying for us as a church to center ourselves, to remind ourselves that God is with us each and every day. Let's pray. Show us your grace. Show us your grace. Show us your grace. Amen. It's as easy as that.